want to pray over the message that I'm about to deliver, and, and I really want you to listen with your heart tonight. So, Father, we come to you and we do pray for this uh, time of, of teaching and preaching, Lord, as we dig into your word. And Father, I know that you have a, a message for everyone who has ears to hear. So, Father, I thank you for anointing on me to, to teach this, to share what's on your heart, but that every ear is anointed to hear and every heart anointed to receive that that precious seed of the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I want to start by by sharing with you something that... Uh, it's, a, it's a prophecy by Kenneth E. Hagan that was given in 1980. And with my quick mathematic mind, that's 40 years ago. So... It's it's not yesterday. It's not he he didn't well I don't know whether he saw this or not, but he didn't know about COVID nineteen, he didn't know about some of the things that we are actually living through right now. But let me share with you this prophecy from forty years ago. He said the end of the age is coming upon this generation. How many of you I mean you watch the news, you can see if you know a little bit about the Bible that this looks like the end. There are things going on now that we've never seen things like we have right now. He goes on to say, The powers of darkness, the forces of evil, are rampant as never before, and they will be increased in intensity and velocity. That's not so good to hear. Increased in the evil. I need to stop giving my own comments and read what Brother Hagin said. Even many Christians will see and look upon these things and say, oh, there is no no use. Throw up their hands in futility and say, well, I guess it's all over. We'll just have to hold on and pray for Jesus to come shortly because the devil is about to take over everything. But thus saith the Lord, in this day I am searching the body of Christ to enlist soldiers. I'll raise up a new band. I'll raise up a new army who will show how to pray, who will know how to pray against the powers of darkness, and the light will dispel the darkness, and the truth will set men free, and prayer will break the bonds that bind men's minds and spirits and bodies. Hallelujah, glory to God. Yea, there are those who will learn to take their place hurriedly. It must be hurriedly. It must be, quickly it must be, that they learn, that they enter in quickly to stand against the forces of darkness and evil that will try to come against the land, against the church, against the home, that would try and disrupt and destroy all that is good and all that God has endorsed. But the hand of the Lord is upon those who will listen and at the urge of God In the Spirit, to those who are attentive, they will pray. The Spirit of God will help you to pray. Do not try to do it yourself. Though there must be labor on your part, yet at the same time, rest in Him. Let the Spirit flow through you like a river, like a mighty wave, let it flow through you. Give vent to those innermost groanings. Let them escape your lips. Take the time to get alone and wait. 
sometimes not even saying anything. But on the inside of you, there is an agonizing. There is a flowing out of your spirit by the Holy Spirit to the Great Spirit, the Father of spirits. And thou shalt be sustained, thou shalt be kept, and thy family and thy home will be sure and stand fast, and thy children shall grow up strong and stalwart in the Lord, and they shall have no fear. And that's from Brother Hagen 40 years ago. I, I, it is so appropriate for the day we're living in right now, in 2020. And, and as, as I, as I go over these things, don't let this just be information. Let this sink into your heart. This, this is God speaking to you. Amen? Now, the, the title of what I'm about to teach, I'm calling it, uh, defeating your giants. And, and Brother Hagen was laying out, we're going to be seeing some giants. We are seeing giants. What's a giant? Uh, a giant isn't necessarily Goliath, although we'll be talking about him in a minute. But a giant is, is whatever is opposing you that looks so big and bad and impossible that there's just no way around it. Every one of us has those. Maybe it's a financial giant. Maybe it's a, a relationship giant. Whatever. It's there and we need to know how to deal with it because according to the Word of God, we can not only overcome it, but defeat it for good. And I want to start by looking in James chapter 3 and verse 2. It says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body. And and you all know that perfect in this sense doesn't mean without flaw. It means it means mature or fully developed. And and it says, you know, if you if you read further down here, uh, it describes how you know they put a bit in a horse's mouth to control the direction that it goes, or the the rudder on a ship to control that that great big ship in 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 seas. If it was if he was writing it today, he probably would say, uh, your tongue is like the steering wheel of your car. And, and wherever you turn that wheel is, is the way you go. Um, but he's talking about how these things, your tongue is controlling the direction of your life. Unfortunately, not very many Christians believe this. How do you know that, Brother Dan? Just listen to him. All you have to do is is hear the way people talk and and you know that they they either don't believe this or they've never seen it. Um, if if somebody really believed that the things that they said was controlling the direction of their life, they would watch more carefully the things they allowed to come out of our mouth. We are created in the image of God. And one of the attributes that we have that God has as that we are able to choose words and speak them. What does this have to do with overcoming giants? Keep listening. Okay. Um, so, in your life, what if you find yourself going the wrong direction? 
there are a lot of people in this country and worldwide that are going the wrong direction like now, right now. They're deceived, many of them. And the interesting thing about being deceived is a deceived person doesn't know they're deceived. They think they're right. They think they're going the right direction, but soon they will see that they are going the wrong direction, but now it's too late. I can't do anything about it. That's wrong. Um, if you're going the wrong direction, if you've got a big problem facing you in your life, you can turn it around. You can change things. But you've got to say something different than you've been saying if you want to change the way things have been. And and you hear this, well, it's just so hard. and Nothing ever works for me. I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time all the time. Oh, and this COVID thing, oh, I just, it's never going to get better. The experts are saying that it's going to be you know, 21, 22 before we can ever get back. To, there will never be another normal. This is the new normal. Well, <laughs> good. That's what you should be saying. No, that's what should be coming out of your mouth. I want to give you a biblical response to that. Be it unto you according to your word. Woo. Well, if that's the case, you know, another way to say that is, if you say so, if, if it is as I say so, if it's according to my word, I should be a bit cautious about what I allow my words to be. Amen. Um, but when a person talks like that, all they're doing is confirming the way things are. They're not changing anything. They're reinforcing what already is. And, uh, you know, even if you don't see anything that looks like it's that you're coming out of the situation you're in, that's what faith is about. Uh, faith calls those things that are not as though they are. Now, uh, you know, when we say these things, there are people that, that mock people like us and, and they say, well, I don't believe in, in that. you know, that's lying, calling things that are not. Well, when you call things that are not, you don't, if, if you have an illness attacking your body, you don't say, I don't have this illness. No, you speak to it and tell it that it does not have any right to be in your body. If, if you're, if you're financially, uh, short, you, you don't talk about how, how much you need, how much you don't have. Talk about how my God will supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. Those are the things that you you need to hear yourself saying. You know, we heard this from Charles Capps years and years ago. Uh, he he would talk about how uh, it, this this kind of thinking is like when it's it's time to feed the dog, and and so you say, well, it's call the dog. It's time to feed the dog. Well, I don't believe in calling things that aren't here. The dog isn't here. So I'm, I'm, that's, I don't believe in that. There's the cat. I'll call the cat. And the cat's there. The dog is what you want to feed. And, and you're looking at it, you think this guy is nuts. And, and it's just that he's, he doesn't understand, you know, I, I don't believe in calling things that aren't there. Uh, I, you know, and, and you know he's not here. That's why you're calling him. It's, it's the same way. If I've got a bill that's not paid, I call it paid. I don't say I don't have that bill. That would be a lie. I call it paid. 
if I if I have a uh, my body needs to be healing. I don't talk about how that I've got this sickness. I I deny that sickness is right to be in my body. I call myself healed. I use scripture against it. By the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. I am healed. You know, if if it, if you looked and felt healed, you wouldn't need to call it. If the money was already in the bank, you wouldn't need to call in the money. Call it. Use your tongue, that rudder, that steering wheel, to turn the thing around, whatever it is, and start guiding your life in a different direction. And and maybe it doesn't all happen right away. When you know, I've mentioned this before about my time in the Navy. When you turn that big ship, it doesn't just you know suddenly turn and be going a different direction. No, it's a gradual process that it turns. And and most of the time when we change by using our our mouth, it's it's not instant. It it's a gradual change, little by little. But it changes and it and it makes a big difference in your life. Um, because your your tongue is what controls the direction of your life. In in Psalm 18, which is interesting today, for those of you who are hearing this five years from now, today is the 18th of the month. And I I got in the habit years ago of reading the proverb of the day. It was such a revelation to me when I found out you could do that. That there's 31 proverbs and some months have 31 days. So today being the 18th, Proverbs 18 verse 20 says, A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. If you only get left into my Utah accent, they're field, filled, okay? They go to the mountains there. My cat had kittens. That's the Utah accent. Anyway, never mind. But if, if, if you want to do better next year than you've done this year, and who doesn't want to do better next year than this year, uh, it doesn't start with how much money you've got in the bank or don't have in the bank. And, and it doesn't start with you getting close to someone who might be able to help you out. It starts by speaking increase out of your mouth. Do not join in the rest of the world talking about how bad things are, how hard things are, how we'll never recover from this attack. We know it's from the enemy. Whether it came from China or wherever it came from, it's from the enemy. And he's the one we're doing battle with. Where those soldiers that we just, we read, Brother Hagen talked about. So, um, and the thing is, we are in the minority in this world. You know, and, and the problem is the opposition to us is loud and on the surface it looks really good. But it's, it's not agreeing with what the Word of God says and it's not the direction my life wants to go. You know, most TV and movies are, are, are not neutral. They take, most of the time they portray a Christian, especially a, a minister, as being just the biggest dodo you have ever seen. They make you look stupid and backward, and, and it's just uh, terrible the way they portray that. Um, and, and, you know, some people justify what they watch. Well, they, you know, this show isn't as bad as a lot of them, so I can watch this. And, well, 
I heard this a couple of elections ago when we we were forced with uh people call it the lesser of two evils. The lesser of two evils is still evil. And and so we need to we need to go to the to the wholesome, the, the righteous side, the blessed side. You know, being a former track coach, I I still follow track and field a lot. And back in the 2012 Olympics, there was a hurdler. Her name was Lolo Jones. Just a phenomenal athlete and a good Christian girl. She made the statement that she, and she, she took a lot of heat for this, but she talked about how she was saving herself for her husband. She, she wanted to remain a virgin until she was married because that, that she wanted only for her husband. And people ridiculed that, you know, come into the 21st century and, and it's just, you know, they, they didn't, uh, they didn't give her any, any, uh, positive reinforcement for any of that. But, uh, that's the way the world is. How stupid. You know, come on into this century. Uh, the world doesn't understand because the things of God and the things of the Spirit are spiritually Discern, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The world says, hard times. You know, nobody's getting anything. It's just hard time. Nobody can get ahead right now. Long, dark winter coming. Have you heard that? <laughs> I know you've heard it, but it's, it's uh, not in my life it's not coming. Okay? Uh, but what we need to be saying is, you know, that is no, I'm getting ahead. I'm coming up. I'm coming up higher. I'm blessed. And and you don't have to say that out loud in front of that person in front of you, but you do need to say it so you can hear it with your own ears. That's very important. And it's it's not because you're so much smarter or uh you're you're better than anybody else. It's just you're following what the word of God, what the Bible tells you to do. And and you should be Again, saying it at least so you can hear it yourself that, that this, this year is going to be a good year for me. I'm coming up. I'm, things are getting better. You know, if you can believe what Jesus said, well, if you can't believe what Jesus said, you know, you might as well turn it all in. But if you believe what Jesus said and, and you say, say what Jesus said and you, he said, say, what what you say and believe you can have mark 11:23 uh don't doubt in your heart don't doubt in your heart believe believe and you can have what you say that's jesus that's that's not me now we we read the verse 20 in in proverbs 21 let's look at uh i mean proverbs 18 verse 21 says death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. So does it matter what we say? You know, people look at this and they, they hear this and they say, well, that's too simple. You know, that's it's got to be more complicated than that. It is simple. It's not complicated. I didn't say it was easy because if you've developed these habits that come out of your mouth over years and years and years, that's that's one of the most difficult things to break. And you have to get a hold of yourself 
be be firm with yourself and and make those changes maybe just a little bit of a time bit at a time so it's it's does matter what we say uh do we talk life and enjoying life and living life or do we talk how bad things are death it's it's uh it's there for you you know this was supposed to be an olympic year again we're back to track and field i i like track and field and there was a time back in 1972, uh, before I even met my wife Marta, that I wanted to be in the Olympics. I wanted to go to the Olympics. I worked, I, I worked in a cheese factory besides teaching school and, uh, I had, had this big rubber apron. I had the Olympic rings drawn on my, on my work apron. But do you know how many giants you have to face even just to make it to the Olympic trials? And I didn't know any of this back then. I was not born again then. I, I talked somewhat, but I also saw the Giants. I didn't have a sponsor, so that eliminates me, right? Well, that's what I thought at that time. And, and I, I, I wish I had known that. Uh, back then it would have helped me get a lot further, at least to the, the, uh, trials. But champions, whether they're in sports, or in business, they never let anything come out of their mouth except winning. Expect being being the champion, or being in first place, or getting that getting that uh, contract uh, awarded, and, and all that kind of thing. Um, you know, and it's funny as as we talk about track and field. Um, when we lived in Europe, we were watching uh, the World Championship track and field meet, and it's interesting that. Uh, in Europe, you can watch all of the events, every throw, every jump, every race. Uh, in America, they might show you the finals of some of the races and maybe the last throw in the shot putter discus or something, but they, they showed everything over there. And one of the relay teams, there are a lot of Christians in, in U.S. track and field. And, and the, uh, BBC or whoever it was announcer got this U.S. relay team that had just won the four by 100 meter relay and they put a microphone in the face and, and wanted to know how, how you feel about this victory. And they all in unison started to sing to God be the glory. And it was just, the guy didn't know what to do with himself. He just, uh, it was really embarrassing for him, but I thought it was the neatest thing I'd ever seen. That was really, really cool. Um, but what I really wanted us to, to focus today on, on facing the giants that are in our lives, and not just facing them, but how can we overcome? How can we defeat those giants? In fact, this is from a, a, a series of messages about how to overcome anything. It's overcoming faith is really what we're talking about. And in Revelations 12, this is a very important scripture concerning this, Re- Revelation 12, verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. A lot of times we leave that last part out, and we shouldn't. But, you know, it's not that we don't need the blood of the Lamb. Thank God for the blood. If it hadn't been for the blood, uh, we wouldn't have anything to be testifying about right now. There would be no healing, no forgiveness. Uh, the blood of the Lamb has has paid for it and made it available to us. But even though it's bought and paid for, and it's available to us, it doesn't mean 
we necessarily will enjoy it. It's not automatic. And like Brother Hagen used to say, it's it's not like uh, ripe cherries falling off the tree and hitting you on the head. You know, it's it, there's some things God always does His part when we do our part. And and the thing is, how are we born again? Romans ten nine and ten tells us that uh, if you confess with your mouth, confesses is what you say. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Verse 10 says, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confession is a vital, necessary part of being saved. And listen, your faith will never rise above your confession. Your faith will never rise above the things that you allow to come out of your mouth. That's how you get born again. You believe that Jesus paid the price for you. The blood of the Lamb paid for your sins. And you said it with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. Now, there may have been some minor variations with that, but basically you believed it, you said it, and now you're born again. So it shouldn't be a big shock that the way we get into the kingdom is how we operate in the kingdom. It's how things work in the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus taught more than anything else was the kingdom. He taught about the kingdom of God. And a lot of Christians know and believe that confession is the way to to be born again. But when it comes to finances or healing, that's, no, we we don't go that way. That's not what we believe. Well, it needs to be what we believe. It's it's the same way we got got into the kingdom, so it's just doing the same thing in another realm, another area of our of our life. We we believe it in our heart, speak it out with our mouth. So how did they overcome? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Proverbs twelve and verse six. 12.6 says, The words of the wicked are lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver him. And Proverbs is full of, of different scriptures about the, the power of the things we say. But, but what if I get in trouble? What if I really have a really big problem? You know, this is big. I mean, I know the word of God says, but I've got a big thing going on in my life. Well, what is it that can get you out? What can deliver you from that? The blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Look at, at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called. How do you fight the good fight of faith? We know believing is part of that. But let's read the rest of the verse. And have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Verse 13, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. What did Jesus do with all the pressure, the the weight of all the sins of the world upon him? What did What did he do? 
He stood in front of the accusers and he confessed. He told the truth is what, what he did. And, uh, you know, we have to make up our mind what the will of God is. Well, you never know what, what God might do. We don't know His will. Well, His will is His word. Get in His word, you can find out His will. But, so, when you, when you find these things out and you find out what the word of God says, that is what you say. That and only that. And, and you, and you, even it looks like nothing's happening, the bottom's falling out of everything, you still say, God will supply all my needs according to His riches in glory. Even if ten doctors give you a, a diagnosis of death, you still say, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. It says, I, I was, so if I was, then I am. The Bible also says, with long life, I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. But you, you can't change. You can't start to say life over here and then turn around, looks like it's not working, so you speak death over it. That, that just negates everything that you've been trying to do. So you have to say something different and you have to stay with it no matter what. Say what the word says. Second uh, Corinthians chapter four, verse thirteen tells us how the Bible patriarchs did it, and it tells us that we have the same thing available to us. Second Corinthians four thirteen, and since we have the same spirit of faith, the, the Bible, according to what is written, I believe, and therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore speak. What we say in the, in the middle of our trials and whatever is coming against us has everything to do with our victory or lack of victory in those areas. And we're, we're going to get into that in just a minute here. But you know, think of all the Hebrew, the, the Hebrews, all the, they were Hebrews, some of them, but all the heroes in Hebrews chapter 11 and, and the, the exploits they did and, and how they, they lived by faith. It's, we call it the faith hall of fame. They were believing and saying and not being moved. And, uh, they, they got their name. You know, sometimes in the Old Testament, some of these people look like they were a little flaky. But God remembers them in the New Testament for their victories, for their steadfastness, for their courage and, and faith. And the revelation that I want us to see tonight is that we have that same spirit of faith, that same spirit of faith is in us. And we can, we can stand and we can overcome anything. Now that, that might seem too big for you right now, but, but hang on. Okay. First um, Samuel 17. And I know everybody's heard this story. I, I want, we're talking about the David facing Goliath, but I want us to hear this like you've never heard it before. And, and pay attention especially when David says something. David said, David said, David said. Let's, uh, oh, let's see. Let's start in 1 Samuel 17. And, uh, well, let's start with verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah 
and Ephes Damim. And here again, I go murdering what, whatever the real names of those places are, but uh, God forgives me for that. Um, Saul and the men, verse 2, Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. Hmm, that sounds good. Verse 3, the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Now, get that picture. You know, when I when I read the Bible, I try to put myself there. I, I try to get a good seat to see what's going on, or maybe get close to Peter or, or Jesus if possible. And and so right now, put yourself there. And and there's army on this side, army on this side, valley in between, and I'm here to watch. Okay? I want to make sure I can see what's happening here. Verse 4. A champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. That's almost ten feet tall. The experts say nine feet, nine inches. I'd say it's close enough to ten feet. I'm not going to worry about three inches. But, you know, I I used to have a job in, in reservations for an airline company, and I worked at the Portland airport. And... At the Portland airport, every once in a while, I'd have my lunch, and I'd go up and I'd watch the planes come in, and sometimes I could watch the NBA teams come in. And I remember one time, here came the Los Angeles Lakers, and there's Magic, and there's there's James Worthy, and I know they're both about six foot nine. That's a pretty tall guy. And there's this guy that is towering above those guys. And I who, who is that? Well, I found out. His name is Chuck Nevitt. He was, what was he? He was seven foot five. That's pretty tall. Seven foot five. He had, I think, at least three NBA championship rings, and I don't think he ever played in any of those games. But he was, you know, you can, you can make a lot of teams if you're seven foot, uh, seven foot whatever. But, uh, but at another, you know, another two and a half feet above Chuck Nevitt. That's, you know, you're talking a tall guy. And, and not only that, now Chuck Nevitt was skinny. You know, Minute Bowl, I think, was seven foot seven. But he only weighed about 200 pounds. It's like taking my little finger and extending it up for seven feet. That's, you know, that's not very sturdy. The closest person I can think of that might have given you some idea of what Goliath was like was was a guy that played for the Utah Jazz calling uh, his name was Mark Eaton. He was seven foot four, but he was proportioned like a, a normal man. I mean he had he wasn't just a, a tall, skinny thing. He he was muscle. And so it gives you some kind of idea how imposing that this this Goliath must have been. Verse 5 says he had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That comes out to about 120 pounds. That's just his fighting coat. It's not just a coat he wore around. He fought in that thing. And it was thick and it was it was heavy and, and you couldn't penetrate it even if you could get close enough to him. You couldn't penetrate something like that. So you think of the amount of, of muscle mass that this guy would have to have to, to use the, the coat 
and the equipment that he had. He was, uh, you know, for a normal person, something like that would be just too heavy. Uh, you know, and you think about it, if a guy could get close enough to, to something that big, you couldn't penetrate it, and you're that close now, he can just squash you like a bug. So it, he really had a great advantage there. Verse 6, let's keep going. He had a bronze had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. He's virtually covered from head to toe with impenetrable armor. But verse 7, Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. That's like 15 or 20 pounds just for the head of that spear, not the whole spear itself. So you're getting some kind of clue as to how how strong and athletic this guy would have had to be to just even use this this equipment. He had a shield bearer that uh, that went before him that, that carried his shield. A full full size soldier would would carry Goliath's shield. Verse eight. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. Remember, he said that. Okay? He, you kill me, and we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. So there's no need for the whole army to get in here. Just send me your best man and we'll see what happens. And uh, couldn't get anybody to volunteer. Not one Israeli soldier would, would come down there. He says uh, he, he wanted to fight. He really wanted to kill somebody is what he wanted. And he said in verse 10, the, uh, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Are you a man or a mouse? Squeak up. So, and the Bible says he did this for a month and a half, 40 days. He was out there twice a day, just, you know, spewing out these, these bad things about, about, uh, the army themselves, probably said bad things about their, their mother and, and everything he could think of to stir up, get somebody to fight him. But there was, you know, there were some big tough guys in the Israeli army, but nobody was willing to, to take this up. So King Saul put out some incentives for this. And he he said, uh, if anybody go out and fight and kill this guy, uh, we'll give him a whole bunch of money. Uh, he can marry my daughter. And uh, then, then he won't have to pay taxes because now he's part of the king's family. His whole family won't have to pay taxes ever again. Well, that's a pretty good deal. And I'm pretty sure the, the soldiers sat around the campfire at night Talking about this, you know, the, look at all that money King's offering. And, yeah, that, the daughter, she's pretty good looking too. And somebody says, yeah, but it won't do you much good if you're dead. Oh yeah, there's that. Yeah. So they, they would not bite on, on, uh, Saul's offer here. Um, verse 11. When, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Fear will make you stupid. 
Fear is, is something we need to guard against, and this is part of how we can do that. Verse 12 talks about David being the, the youngest, and, and uh, uh, we go on and talks about how Jesse has, is sending David to, uh, to see how his brothers were doing. Uh, skip down here a little bit for the sake, sake of time. But David was just a young man. He, apparently he was too young to be in the army, or he'd probably been there with his brothers. He had three brothers that were there that he took some, some food to. Uh, down in verse 17, Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers and ephah this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses. And so that's what he was doing. And and when he got there, they were he, he overheard Goliath coming out there and and uh, telling, you know, going through his little routine that he did twice a day. And it says in verse 23, David heard him. And the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. I mean, it's, think of it. Twice a day for a month and a half, they go out there, Goliath makes his speech, and they get afraid, afraid and, and run and hide. So get, get the picture. Goliath is pacing back and forth, goes through this routine. He's been doing it for weeks and weeks now. And David shows up just in time to hear him. And uh, the Israelites hid. And, you know, just... Think of, this must have been one big imposing dude. Um, verse 25, the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. It shall be that the man who kills this king will, in, the king will in, enrich with great riches, give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. And David spoke to the men, What? What you, what'd you say? Tell me how, tell me again how, uh, how much? What shall be done for the man? And then he goes to verse 25. He says, uh, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Listen, if you don't hear anything else in this message, it is very important how we refer to our problem. It's very important how we talk about the thing that's attacking us, the thing that we're trying to deal with. Don't refer to your money problem as as unpayable. It's humongous. I'll never get over this. I'll never catch up. Uh, and and that's what they're doing. They're looking at ten feet of of bad to the bone, a killing machine, and and David calls him uncircumcised Philistine, meaning. He has no covenant. There is, he's, who is, who does he think he is? He's a no covenant, uncircumcised Philistine. He's, he's basically saying he's nobody. You know, don't we have a covenant with God? Any, anybody here remember that we have a covenant? Apparently not. So that's the way we need to treat the giants that we're facing. Yeah, you've got a debt, but, but how big is it? Is it's nothing for God. If you're working with God, it's nothing. And you might say, well, I wouldn't say $500,000 is nothing. But listen, we had better learn to talk about it right. We had better learn to talk about what's going on in our nation, in our country, in our, in the world right now. Talk about it right if we ever want to make the changes that we desire to see take place 
and get back to a somewhat, well not somewhat, a, a more than normal life because God needs the church to stand up and be who they're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be controlled by the world. We're supposed to control the world. We're supposed to take over. We're supposed to be uh, dominant. Okay, but, but if you're in awe of how big and bad and terrible your situation is, uh, it's, it's not faith. You can't, you can't do that and stay in faith. So, faith doesn't go on and on about the problem. Faith is not in awe of how difficult things are. Faith is in awe of God. That's where our awe needs to be directed. Because we need to, you know, we had a, a friend in, in Utah, uh, pastor friend Steve Peterson, and he came up with the phrase, big God, little devil. And that's the way it is. Big God, little devil. Greater is he who's in me than he that's in the world. Big God, little devil. And, and David is, is, uh, getting things ready. He's turning things over. He's starting to talk. Now listen to what David says. David said, David said, now, Goliath said some things too. And Goliath had a track record. He was, he was big and he was strong and he was undefeated. But he was no covenant. He had no covenant with the living God. David knew where he was and, and David called him that uncircumcised Philistine. You know, no covenant. Who, who does this guy think he is in defying the army of, of Israel? You know, what's cancer in front of God? What's what's your debt in front of God? What's diabetes in front of God? What's anything in to to God? Uh, it's it's nothing. It's like that uncircumcised Philistine. And you, you know, and I believe when David said this, he he was probably just a real disgusted look on his face when he was uncircumcised Philistine. You know, and he he just you know, that's my interpretation of it. That's anyway. And, and so David went around to the soldiers again and run that by me again. Uh, how much money did the king say? And, and, and it was the good looking daughter, right? And, okay. And no taxes? Wow. You know, and, and so he, and his brother even interrupts him and says, what are you doing? You, who's leaving, who's watching those sheep, you know, that you're supposed to be in charge of? And you know, he's a teenager because he says, what have I done now? He, he just, uh, just trying to get get things straight in his mind. He's something. He keeps asking, I believe, because he's something is stirring in him, and and he kept asking about that, about how much money they're going to give, and and he keeps asking because he he's getting the understanding that he's supposed to do something, and it's important that when you know you don't just jump in every time you see a problem. You make sure you get you get word from above. Am I supposed to do something about that? And so he, he needs to make sure before he goes out to face this guy that he's heard from the Lord. We need to make sure before we face our problem that we've heard from the Lord about make sure we're handling it right. So he keeps asking, they keep telling him, um, but when God starts stirring something in you and, and you can see that it's time for you to act, there will be people that try to talk you out of it, like David's brother did here. Don't let people, once you've heard from God, don't let people talk you out of it. Now, verse 31 says, when David 
the words which David spoke were heard, they were report, they reported to them to Saul, so he sent for him. Now, think about this. There's an army of men. These are warriors. They're, they're tough guys here. And this is a kid. You know, most, most people, most scholars say he's probably around 16, 17 years old. These guys are, are hardened, uh, warriors, except they're afraid of Goliath. And if you read about it on further, it says he was ruddy. He was like a reddish complexion, a good-looking kid. Um, but he's not a great big muscled, hard, war-hardened soldier like the rest of these guys. But he starts talking and people overhear it. And they say, you know, I think this kid might be able to do that. So they get him to the king. And uh, and you know the story how the king uh, tries to put David's armor on, or the king's armor on David. David couldn't couldn't walk in it. He said, I've, you know, I'd like to use this, but I've not tested it. And I just had this funny picture of sword. Now, Saul was a tall guy. He was probably the tallest guy in Israel. And so he's got Saul's armor, his sword hanging around, dragging on the ground as he's walking. Now, he, he had his sling and a staff, a stick, is what he was used to fighting with. And when you get into a, when you get into a hazardous because you're pushed into a fight, let's say. When you're pushed into a fight, you always go to the weapons you're used to working with. And some, for some people, that's putting your fists up or pulling out the knife or whatever. For David, it was that, that sling and that stone. And he was good with it. You know, when I was a kid, I, I got to herd my dad's eight cows. We'd take them out and, and I'd find a grassy place for them. And I had this slingshot. That I made of a shoe tongue and and some leather leather strips, and I would practice with that because I had seen the movie of, of David and Goliath, and I and I was I could hit a tree if I was really close to it, you know. Uh, otherwise, I might be breaking your windows. But uh, so I it, but but he spent he spent hours and hours and hours working with that, and the, and that staff was just a familiar friend to him. And he he told Saul, he says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. But that's how faith talks. He told him things that he'd already had victory in, in his life. The lion and the bear. And I'm cutting the story real short, but but uh, Saul saw, saw that this this kid has got something. There is an anointing. There is something about his words and who he is that he knows this this might be the answer to his problem, and it was. Um, but but faith talks uh, convinced of the will of God. Um, verse thirty-seven. David said, "The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine." And we already read that. Saul said, "Go and." Uh, now let's see. Uh, go down to verse 41. It says, So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. The man who bore the shield went before him. When the Philistine looked around and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. And I think this is funny. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with a stick? I just, yeah, I've got to go fetch. Go get it. Uh, and the Philistine cursed David by his God. 
the Philistines said to David, listen to this, come to me and I will give you, I can't talk like a giant, but come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now, that's pretty, pretty impressive. Come to, but remember, he had no covenant. Then David said, verse 45, and look at how many times again, David said, David said, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. That's what Goliath trusted in. Those are his weapons. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Red-headed kid with a stick and a slingshot goes out there. And, and he says in verse 46, this day, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Not because I'm the biggest, baddest teenager you've ever seen. The Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to your, to the birds, uh, birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then he assuredly uh, shall know then all then all this assembly shall know that the Lord God does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. He will, He will, and He will deliver you out of your problem if you will follow what He's saying and start to speak out what the Word of God. Be in agreement with what the Word says. You can't go wrong there. And then we know how David put his hand in the bag, slung the thing, and it said it sunk into the Goliath's forehead. Now, I've heard a lot of stories about how he was probably laughing. I don't know. He got killed. He broke his skull. That's that's how hard it was. And then he goes up and, and doesn't have a sword, so he takes Goliath's own sword and does what he said he would do, cuts his head off. Now, remember, Goliath had said, We'll be your servants if you can kill me. They, the rest of the, the Philistines didn't obey that. They ran away. And David started chasing them. So David prevailed over the Philistine in verse 50 with a sling and a stone and uh, killed the Philistine. Listen, how do you overcome the biggest, baddest, toughest, scariest problem? The same way David did it. The same way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we didn't even get to tonight did it. The same way Joshua and Caleb, we didn't get to them either tonight. But read about them and see what their their words did to get them out of their situation and the words that caused destruction to those that went against what God's plan was. So, uh, you know, think of them and think of those people from, from uh, those old faith giants from of old. Believe it in your heart. Speak it with your mouth and you don't change. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for victory over our enemies. Lord, that we fight with you because we have a covenant with you, Lord, that we are to dominate the enemy in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father, that this word is being planted in hearts tonight and it will produce precious fruit for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.